This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Welcome to the Protestant Witness. This is Pastor Patrick Hines here at Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. And one of the things that I also would like to do, in addition to the Genesis series, and uh, just also I, wanna, I wanted to post the rest of the uh, Solas conference talks because those were those were uh, popular and seemed to to help folks. <clears throat> I'm also going to post some old episodes of uh, way back when I was doing uh, toward a biblical and Christian worldview. And uh, Tim Shaughnessy told me that that title's too long, and he's probably right; it was too long. So we changed it to the Protestant Witness, and uh, I really like that that title. <clears throat> but uh, I was looking back at the archives, and I, I deleted the channel because there was there was a lot of duplicate um, material on the YouTube channel, and also on our church's sermon audio page. I used to upload all those videos um, that were uploaded to the YouTube channel, also to my sermon, church's sermon audio page, and so. Um, I wanted to pull some of those uh, old video, uh, really just the audio files from the videos, because uh, you don't actually even need the video file, um, and make them uh, episodes of the Protestant Witness, because some of those, you know, I think are, are pretty helpful. I did a lot on Eastern Orthodoxy back then, even though I don't know a whole lot about Eastern Orthodoxy, because I have found it to be a very fluid theological system that is very hard to pin down. Um, I've had Eastern Orthodox converts point me to flaming liberals um, as if they're the end-all be-all, and then there's others that are more conservative. And so what, what, what is Eastern Orthodoxy and what does it really teach about like salvation and heaven and hell and how, how we're made right with God is anyone's uh, best guess. Um, but there were a number of videos I did and a number of things I did in response to atheism. There was a, uh, there's a guy whose name is Peter Thurston. He's a, a British fellow, and um, he took uh, one of my videos and um, responded to it, and I, I listened to and responded to, uh, I don't know, seven or eight minutes of his video. His video was like 48 minutes long, and it was so bad that I, I just kind of just just quit after a few minutes, and then I, I did a couple follow-up things with it, but he responded to both, uh, to the, my initial video on Richard Dawkins and, and child abuse, and then also um, he responded to my response, uh, like a 50-some-odd-minute video, and he eventually took took both of those down. They're not on his YouTube channel anymore. His YouTube channel is called Essence of Thought or something like that. Um, but I, I watched one other video on Peter Thurston's uh, channel, um, and it was like it was called, like, What is a Humanist? And um, it was literally like, like I, I thought maybe there would be something in that that would be worth uh, maybe responding to, but it was so... Uh, it's kind of like trying to nail a cube of undercooked jello to the wall. There was just not enough substance there to actually get your teeth into anything, so I just kind of moved on from that. But um, I was contacted by and dialogued, did email exchanges um, with a, a whole bunch of Peter Thurston's subscribers <laughs> um, after he responded to me, and then eventually he, he took those videos down. But a, a, a lot of them... Um, were asking me pretty thoughtful questions, some of them, but a lot of them were just, you know, wanted to curse and swear and um, uh, throw all sorts of profanity at me. <clears throat> um, and 
one one common theme I noticed among these atheists is they love to mock um, hell and just just their their vitriol against all things religious um, bespeaks people who have a vested interest um, in God not existing. Uh, you would think that if, if God really didn't exist, well, first of all, it would, no, nothing else would exist. No, there would be no universe or cosmos, and discourse wouldn't even be possible because nothing would exist. But why do they give such, not, not, not just so much of their time, but so much just utter hatred and contempt and, towards the idea of God and the idea of judgment and hell and everything else? Uh, well, that's a, a topic that I've done a lot of studying and reading on over, over the years and um, have tried to understand, especially from the, the standpoint of being a Christian and understanding God's revelation. But I did this video uh, somewhat in response to interacting with a bunch of Thurston's uh, rather um, acerbic subscribers that uh, had contacted me and just try to answer the question, why are there atheists if God really does exist? And so I hope that you will find this to be helpful. Why are there atheists um, if there is a God? Uh, I wanted to discuss real quick here just my own exposure to um, evolution and those ideas. I had a, an individual uh, contact uh, me um, on my church's Facebook page. I don't, I don't actually don't normally check that. And <clears throat> he made the statement, um, you're a liar uh, because we, we've proven evolution um, in bacteria. And um, I've heard this before. And uh, I just think it's really remarkable to me, the equivocation, it is a logical fallacy, the equivocation of bacteria um, becoming bacteria with uh, different characteristics. It, we're told that that's evolution. Well, the word evolution does not mean change in the way that it's used to describe that perspective as a theory of origins of species. Again, people... Need, need to go back and just, you know, reread Darwin. I've got the original, the origin of species, over the, and the, the descent of man and everything else. Charles Darwin did not write a book about how species change. He wrote a book on the origin of species. Why there are so many different kinds of animals. Okay, so finch beaks changing their size is not evolution. Bacteria becoming bacteria is not evolution. What you need to show to, to give any semblance of credibility to the idea of evolution is the formation of new kinds of animals. And that's what the theory really just doesn't show. Um, and Darwin himself recognized that. Everyone that's into these debates has heard the quotations from Darwin. He believed very strongly that as the hard sciences had time to develop, that it would, it would really bear out um, his ideas. And it's been pointed out by many. Um, what he was saying about uh, the origin of species was nothing new. The only thing that he gave to it was a mechanism, natural selection. So let's talk real briefly here um, about the issue of the hard sciences that have developed from the time of Darwin. There are a lot of former evolutionists who are now creationists. Um, and I want to give a shout out to and promote this book right here, Evolution's Achilles Heels. Um, there's a DVD that went with it too. Um, I've distributed lots of those. Uh, people have found them to be very helpful. Uh, basically, it goes through uh, eight categories of science and inquiry and kind of talks about the history of those sciences since the time of Darwin. Natural selection is the first one. 
is natural selection, does that give us a mechanism through which new information is added to genomes? Simple answer is no. What the science of genetics shows us is that what it really looks like is at one point you had intact, very good pools of information in the genome of, of the various kinds of animals. And over time, those animals have speciated into various species, not by acquiring new, new characteristics or new information, but by losing information, by becoming more and more broken. Um, it's called cumulative degeneration. Over time, the piling on of mutations is what brings us to where we are now. Uh, and the final analysis, genetics really has not helped uh, the issue of Darwinism because mutations are supposed to be the the, the thing that gives rise to new traits, new information. The problem is point mutations don't give new information to genomes. They just don't. Uh, and so what you see is over time, things are rusting out like a car. They're, they're degrading more and more. We are not evolving. Uh, we are getting worse and worse. All the mutations that were passed on to me by my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so on will, are piled on to me and will be passed on to my uh, progeny as well. And so genetics really, really is a problem. And it, the, the blindness of those who still hold on to a theory, this theory of evolution, which I really think is going to be gone in about 50 years, I think it'll be over and people, it will be a completely discredited uh, idea. There will always be holdouts though, because they don't want God to exist and they'll believe anything. They'll believe that, um, that aliens from outer space put us here. Like uh, Richard Dawkins has suggested directed panspermia. Um, any creators but God, any, any creators but God, as long as it's E.T., hey, we're cool with it. <clears throat> um, I find it very inconsistent that um, evolutionists and atheists can look at the information that is coded into to deoxyribonucleic acid molecules, DNA molecules, that are read by enzymes that are specifically designed to read that, that language. It's not just, just blips and, and little squiggles. It is a language with characters in the DNA molecules, in the, in the chromosomes of, of cells. Um, there is so much information in them um, that it can fill encyclopedias uh, worth of information. And they'll say, yeah, that, that happened by accident. That there's no intelligent source behind that whatsoever. Although, you know, Richard Dawkins has said, hey, it, there could have been uh, another uh, intelligent source that's brought information. Now, why, why would Richard Dawkins be willing to say something like that? Well, because it is a demonstrable fact that information like that has to come from an intelligence. No one is going to look at Mount Rushmore, at the faces on Mount Rushmore, Lincoln, Jefferson, uh, Roosevelt, and Washington, and think, man, can imagine the odds that rain and wind just happen to carve, you know, those four uh, great men, founders of our nation, um, presidents of our country, uh, who, who were very influential, very important. No one looks at it like that. People look at things like that, and they recognize there has to be an intelligence behind it. No one would ever look at Mount Rushmore and, and think, I wonder what caused that. No, no one's going to do that. Everyone looks at it and says, okay, who did that? And intelligence is behind it. People look at the information uh, in the DNA molecule, and they're starting to recognize, okay, well, maybe aliens from another planet came here. Now, there's a reason why uh, they're willing to, to suggest aliens did it and not God, uh, because aliens can't judge us for our sins. Everything goes back to sin, folks. You have to recognize all this stuff, evolution, everything else, atheism, is a cover for the fact that these individuals are in love with sin. You know, 
pick your perversion, whatever it is. What are you into? What, what do you like? That's what this stuff's all about. It's about guarding themselves and guarding the most important thing to them, which is their sin that they love so much. That's why you get all the nastiness. You get no rational argumentation. You know, Peter Thurston, as soon as you said, um, in response to the argument that I've made, that, that I've heard atheists make, yes, natural selection, the idea of atheism evolution, it does not give us any grounds whatsoever uh, to live moral lives. And to say that it's consistent with that, uh, for these young men to go into Columbine High School and blow the place up, uh, yeah, that goes hand in hand with teaching them that they're just rearranged pond slime which is exactly what they believed. They believed in evolution, they believed in natural selection, and so on and so forth. His, his response, do we therefore discard the science of ballistics because they used guns? That is the result of educational institutions that have taught individuals um, what to think instead of how to think. Why should I spend my time responding to things like that? I'm not going to, and I'm not going to watch the rest of, uh, of that silliness because it's not worth my time. So genetics has turned out to be a real problem. And the fact of the matter is Darwin, at the time that he wrote The Origin of Species, knew nothing about genetics because it hasn't even, hadn't even developed as a science yet. And so now genetics is pushing people to say, well, maybe, maybe directed panspermia, maybe other life forms from outer space came to Earth. Well, hang on a minute. Is there any evidence that that happened? No. Is it, is it science, therefore? No. It's philosophy. It's religion. It's a worldview. <clears throat> um, the origin of life is a, a big problem. You know, Richard Dawkins talks about the, the, the first self-replicating proteins, but, but again, he's still, he's still willing to talk about directed panspermia. Um, how about the formation of life, and what is the mechanism by which allegedly simple forms of life, there, there are no simple forms of life, they are, they are um, incredibly complicated. Uh, I liked what David Berlinski uh, said about what we know about the cell in terms of its internal workings at the time of Darwin and what we know today because of molecular biology and everything else and because of the use of electron microscopes. He said, um, how would you compare our knowledge um, to of what we know about, knew about cells at the time of Darwin and what we know today? It's a comparison between a grain of sand and a galaxy, he said. And that's true. And we still don't know. It's, it's so complicated. And you see the walking kinesins, and you see um, the way that these DNA molecules have these unbelievably complicated repair systems, and how they, they all work together and function together. Not a single part of those processes are useful by themselves. They all have to appear instantaneously and function together. To... That's why Michael Behe wrote that book, Darwin's Black Box. What is the black box? It's the cell. Cell biology, it just... How do you account for this? How could this come about accidentally? But you see, my favorite illustration of that was when Bill Nye uh, was asked a direct question. So what is the evidence that, that we've all built? What is the evidence? And his answer was, here we are. See, it's not a question of can I prove it or is there any scientific evidence of it? Has anyone ever observed anything? It's just, look, we're here. See, it's based on his presuppositions, on his worldview. What's the evidence that evolution happened? Everything is evidence that evolution happened. Because it has to be, because there can't be a god. And so it just happened by itself. Here we are. You see, it's not about evidence. It's not about science. It's not about facts. It's about philosophy. These people are committed philosophical naturalists, materialists, and there's variations on that. They, they have different ways of, of saying it. But it's really all the same thing. How about fossils? 
how much have we heard about Archaeopteryx and Tiktaalik and all sorts of other uh, potential candidates? You know, the the frauds. You know, Piltdown Man, Java Man, Nebraska Man, blah 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 blah. Um, a pig's tooth and so on and so forth. Uh, becomes an entire human skeleton, and you have these these imaginative drawings. The fossils are of no help to the idea of evolution. They just haven't been. They have not borne out the idea of micromutational evolution. And that's why people like Stephen Jay Gould have suggested, okay, well, evolution happened in such a way as to not leave any evidence behind. Because it, it happens in punctuated bursts, followed by long periods of equilibrium. So you're going to see the created kinds just sort of being static, and then all of a sudden it's something else. When I was in sixth grade science in the public school system here in the United States, we were taught what was called the hopeful monster theory. And I could not believe this. I felt at the time, I was, um, let's see, sixth grade would be uh, 11 years old, that two lizards got together and laid an egg and a sparrow was born. And I thought, what? Yeah. And then two other lizards nearby laid another egg. And a sparrow of the opposite gender was born. And they somehow found each other. They somehow made it and started a new species. Wow. What's the evidence that that happened? There's none. Well, why, why speculate like this? Because God's not allowed to exist. And why is God not allowed to exist? Because we like to sin. We love sin. More on that later. Uh, radiometric dating uh, is also uh, fraught with lots of internal flaws. What they're recognizing is that you can't make the kinds of assumptions about the past without being able to observe it, and therefore it's not science. Unless someone builds a time machine where they can go back in time and say, okay, all conditions have been exactly identical to what they are right now. In the past, those dating methods just really don't work. Um, and, of course, there's the issue of, of ethics and morality. Um, a friend of mine here at the church just gave me two books, um, and I'm really excited to read them. Um, in fact, I, dang it, I, left, I left them at home. Um, they're sitting uh, by my bedside. But anyway, The Philosophy of Humanism uh, by Lecomte something, I can't remember. And then uh, The Religion of Humanism, something like that. And he said these guys are older writers, so they, they're much more consistent um, with their worldviews. I, I like to read stuff like that. I mean, I, you really can't see it from here, but that's my atheism shelf back there. So I've got, if you're familiar with the, the dust covers, um, that's Michael Martin, the, the purple one with the white in the middle. That's uh, Michael Martin's book, Atheism, A Philosophical Justification. Um, went through that uh, when I was in seminary. Also, his book, The Case Against Christianity, is another good one. Um, George Smith's book, Atheism, The Case Against God. And Bertrand Russell's stuff is over there. Nietzsche, Hume, and there's some others. Not, actually, not everything fits on that shelf. There's, there's actually some more stuff around my library. But I like reading atheists. I like reading, especially when they were more consistent. Um, with their own presuppositions and their own worldview. It just, you know, took it like man. You know, I think it was uh, Jacques Monod um, said that the um, the victorious race, races should stride over the corpses of the vanquished races. I just think, yeah, that, that makes sense, um, given that perspective. Um, ethics and morality really doesn't work in that system. You know, uh, we're told that, well, we just have a social contract. You, you just, uh, you figure out, we, we evolve to, ev to avoid pain and, and to get along and so on and so forth. But as long as people recognize, well, that's just an evolutionary leftover. It doesn't actually correspond to a standard that we're going to be held accountable to, and therefore we can rise above it. Um, that's what the uh, Nazis did. That's what Heinrich Himmler uh, did. He's like, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it bothers your conscience a little bit. It doesn't matter if you see 400 or 500 or 1,000 corpses piled together. Um, this is the most 
uh, successful age in the history of German of the German people uh, in its blood and soil and its conquest of the world. Uh, so don't let those things bother you. It's just it's just biological chemical reactions in the brain. It doesn't correspond to anything that's actually real. So there you go. But why why do people hold on to uh, this idea of evolution when as the hard sciences continue to push forward, they're seeing more and more and more. We don't see uh, animals becoming new kinds. We see mediated design points. Yeah, you see um, animals uh, change, but they don't become new kinds of animals. I mean, you can you can torture fruit flies all you want. They're still going to be fruit flies. Um, people, the San Jose scale. Okay, so it's got um, the ones with darker wings um, don't don't get eaten because they blend in better. Well, that that goes without saying. That's not evolution. Evolution does not mean animals change a little over time. They do. Everyone understands that. What we are saying is that they don't they don't become new kinds of animals. That's the issue. <clears throat> but why do people hold on to this perspective? Why do they trumpet it? And why is it that only one of these individuals that has contacted me um, has actually been able to talk to me without cursing and swearing? It, it's really amazing to me. These people cannot stop. They can't help themselves. They have to curse and swear and get all nasty. And I just think, isn't that so telling? You know, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I sleep like a baby at night. You know, when I was younger, I used to, I had a real anxiety problem. I just worried all the time. And as I've grown in my relationship with the Lord and have grown um, to know and love the one true God who is so gracious and so tenderhearted and so compassionate and has been so good to me my whole life, although I've suffered greatly in my life, he's been so good and faithful to me. I've just learned how not to worry about anything. And there's no need to blow a gasket. There's no need to go off on people. There's no need to... Um, to get all upset uh, about things and to, to start cursing and swearing at people. Um, do I have passion? You bet. I'm very passionate about what I believe, about the truth. People say, oh, you're getting angry. Um, there's such a thing as real passion that's not anger. Okay, There's no need to, to be all sensitive about everything. People uh, get all upset. You sound, you sound angry. No, it's called passion. Being passionate about what you believe, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But why do people hold on? Uh, to this idea of evolution. Well, they hold on to it because they like sin. Jesus is the ultimate whistleblower. And, you know, I love his style. I love the way uh, he gets right to the heart of the matter. No matter who he was talking to, he knew exactly what they needed to hear. Uh, he was the one who exposed men for what they are. Jesus said this to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Uh, in that same gospel in John chapter 7, verse 7, uh, Jesus said this, The world cannot hate you. He said this to his enemies. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. Why do people champion a theory that has no scientific credentials whatsoever. Why? Because they love sin. They're into something. They're into a sin that has them in a death grip, that has got its its claws into them so deep that they just can't get rid of it. They love to sin. And one of my favorite uh, early Christian writers is Augustine of Hippo. And he was a debauched individual. He was arrogant, violent, um, absolutely detested Christianity. And if you ever get a chance to read his confessions, the fact is, for a year of his life, he knew that it was true. 
He knew that there was one God. He knew that Jesus Christ was indeed his son and that he was the only way to be saved. But Augustine refused. He would not come to Christ. He would not go to, to the church. He would not get baptized and, and take up his cross and follow Christ. Why? Because he wasn't done sinning yet. He was too into sex. He was too into um, arrogance. He was too into being violent and being a man's man and, and doing all of the things that he loved to do that were evil, that he knew was, was evil. And that's really what's going on here. Why, why are these people so nasty? Why, you know, I would love to have a thoughtful discussion with somebody, um, but these people absolutely cannot control themselves. Um, you know, this guy comes out, um, Jeff Ball. I don't even know if that's his real name. I looked out on it, when I clicked on his channel, it looks like his name's something else. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. And he's got a, a channel. The name of the channel is Profanity. And, you know, watched about the first minute of a video, and it's just, it's just acid in the face. And I think, where where are the thoughtful atheists? Where are the thoughtful ones? 20 years ago, uh, there was a an internet group called the Internet Infidels. I don't know if it exists anymore. And there was the Secular Web. I used to dialogue with some of those folks. And it was actually, they, they were good dialogues. Uh, those guys actually made me think. They were thoughtful. Um, at the time, I mean, I was in my early 20s back then. I was a new Christian. And I didn't know much about this kind of stuff. And so I, I did a lot of reading. Um, they would recommend stuff. I would read it. Um, we would go back and forth for months and months and months and months. We would, we would have these really interesting, fruitful discussions without people getting all nasty and, and being uh, just as, as unpleasant as possible. What has happened to them? I think that because the theory of evolution really is in, is in crisis, um, and it's being shown to really have nothing whatsoever to do with science, uh, nothing whatsoever uh, to do with observation, that it really is just a religious philosophy. Um, insecurity often causes people to get a little loony uh, when they're defending what they know is indefensible. But what's really going on here is that these individuals are in love with sin. There's some kind of sex, perversion. There's something else that they're into that they really like, and they will defend it at all costs, even if they have to believe that E.T. came to Earth and put us here. Um, that It doesn't matter. As long as I'm not accountable to anybody. But wanting something to be true doesn't make it true. Um, not wanting God to exist has nothing to do with whether or not he does exist. And the fact is, when your head is the pillow at night, your conscience bears witness against you that you do know this God that I'm talking about. Although you work very hard to hide that from yourself. And why do people do that? Because they succeed. They succeed in suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, as Paul says in Romans 1. Now, there are some Christians who think that atheists are actually lying when they say that they don't believe in God. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that atheists are telling the truth. I think that they are telling the truth. But they have an error about what they believe. They think and are convinced that they don't believe in God. Now, what I would expect to see if Romans chapter 1 is true, if all men in their heart do know God, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. What I would expect to see is lots of people screaming that there's no God and yet acting as if he exists, acting as if nature is uniform, acting as if there are moral absolutes that we're obligated to follow, acting as if uh, we can balance our checkbooks and, and drive our car and mathematical concepts uh, are real, that the existence of universal invariant abstract entities such as laws of logic, human dignity, morality, um, the validity of inductive reasoning, so on and so forth, 
those things all, all hold true, even though atheism, if true, in principle, would destroy them all. We'll still just proceed forward as if as if they're all true. And that's why I did a video um, a couple of years ago. If I'm maybe is it three years ago now? On Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Russell taking atheism like a man. I like reading him because he, his mind was just so sharp. I mean, he with an with had an incisiveness um, that I've just not seen in any of his counterparts today. But he recognized that atheism cannot account for inductive reasoning. He knew that. Um, he recognized that atheism cannot account for what he calls the uniformity of nature, what philosophers of the past called the uniformity of nature. Why is it that the characteristics and, and properties of the universe, the laws, the physical and chemical laws that govern it, are constant through time? Why, why are they consistent like that? Russell says you can't reason from the past or the future to prove it. You can't say, well, it's always been like that in the past, and it stands to reason it'll be that way in the future. Russell says that's begging the question. And says in his little book, Problems in Philosophy, we have still to seek some principle that will enable us to believe the future will be like the past. Years ago when I read that, I thought, wow, isn't that an amazing omission that he would actually say that? <clears throat> so why did Russell continue to live as if God does exist, as if all those things do make sense, when his worldview, by his own admission, destroys them? Because in his heart of hearts, he does know God. Although he believes that, he doesn't believe in God. It's just like the mother who has a, a rebellious child. Um, let's say there's a mother, has a child, Johnny. Johnny is uh, 16 years old. Johnny's a bully. Johnny uh, abuses people. Uh, Johnny steals constantly from others. Johnny skips out on school. Johnny doesn't do his homework. Johnny is a liar and a thief. And this mother believes that Johnny is innocent and believes that everyone that's ever been out to, to try to attack him, they're, they're just out to get Johnny. She's constantly up at the school. You guys have had it out for Johnny ever since we moved here. I've been trying to get my precious Johnny in trouble all the time, but he's innocent. He's being framed, and he really is a good boy. <clears throat> now, does that mother really believe that? Yeah, she does. She does. She believes that she believes Johnny's a good kid. And yet at home, she would never leave her son, Johnny, unattended in the same room with her purse because she knows that Johnny will steal from her. Does she, does she believe that Johnny's a good kid? Yep, she does. She believes that she believes Johnny's a good kid. And yet her actions betray the reality. She knows he's a rogue. She knows he's a bad kid. It's the same thing with atheists. Do they really believe that they don't believe in God? Yes, they do. They are telling you the truth. They don't believe in God, and they believe in evolution. They do. And yet by their actions, they betray themselves. Because they do things that their worldview destroys. Their worldview cannot account for. Uh, universal, invariant, non-material entities like logic, like inductive reasoning, like classification concepts, like numbers, mathematics, so on and so forth, chemical and physical laws, etc., etc., reason, human dignity. None of those things make any sense in that worldview, and yet they, they assume that all of them are true all the time. Now, I've asked a question of Peter Thurston, um, and I, you know, will, will he attempt to answer it? I, I, I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche said, I fear we are not yet rid of God because we still have faith in grammar. Now, I actually Googled that quotation uh, and found a lot of atheists asking on web boards, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by saying, I fear we are not yet rid of God because we still have faith in grammar? Frederick Nietzsche recognized that grammar is not made of matter. Grammar is a universal, invariant, non-material entity 
that exists conceptually. But if there's no God, if there's no governing providence to impose uniformity on creation, and of course, as a Christian, I know exactly why God does that, so that man can subdue the created order, do science, figure it out, cure diseases, build houses, um, and study it and, and take dominion over it for the glory of God. That's why God imposes uniformity upon his creation. But Nietzsche recognized the fact that I'm sitting here writing and making use of laws, laws of grammar that I expect others to know about when they read my books. We're not rid of God yet. We're not fully rid of him yet, because if we were rid of him, we would not have faith in grammar. Nietzsche was a brilliant man, even though he went insane towards the end of his life. He was a brilliant person. He saw a lot of the same things that Russell saw. Um, and some of these other uh, religious humanists uh, of yesteryear, the, the ones writing today and these blog, these guys with YouTube channels, I, I don't think they even, they've ever even thought about things like this. Um, if you listen to what they say against um, the transcendental argument for God's existence, it shows they don't understand what we're saying. They don't understand what their own guys from yesteryear were saying either. But what's really going on? So why would Nietzsche, after recognizing, if I'm, if I believe in grammar, which is not made of matter. You can't go to the fridge and get a pound of grammar. Grammar is not made of matter. It is a law of thought. It is a, it is a universal, invariant, abstract, non-material entity that I believe in. But if there's no God, there can't be any universal, invariant, abstract entities like that. And he's, we're not rid of God yet because we still have faith in things like grammar. You can't have grammar. You can't have laws of any kind if there really is no God. But Nietzsche just kept right on going. Bertrand Russell, after giving away the store and admitting that science isn't even possible because we have no, no reason to believe the future will be like the past in terms of its law-like property, he just kept right on doing science, kept right on doing mathematics, kept on protesting nuclear bombs, and kept on living his life. It's just like the woman who thinks Johnny is a good kid, but she would never leave her purse by him because in her heart she does know that Johnny is a horrible kid. But she's convinced herself that he's not. She just can't handle the idea that her precious Johnny is a horrible kid. And so with her mouth, she says he's a good kid. But by her actions, she betrays the truth. That's what atheists do. The atheist worldview cannot account for what they are doing. Anytime they react with moral indignation to, to me or to any other Christian, that's not something that makes sense in your worldview. Uh, every time you use inductive reasoning, every time you try to identify something as a logical fallacy. It doesn't make any sense in your worldview. It doesn't make any sense in your perspective. Your perspective, if true, would destroy the validity of all those things. And I always wonder, it's such an odd thing to me, why Why even care? If there really is no God, well, go, go out and live your life and have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And yet you spend all this time ranting on the internet and raving at Christians and calling them liars and, and spewing your venom and cursing and swearing and everything. I think maybe there's a bit of a vested interest there. I think there's something going on there. You don't want God to exist, and I know exactly why you don't. Because light has come into the world, as Jesus said, but men loved darkness rather than light, and they refused to come to the light, lest their deeds be exposed. But what a waste. What a waste. You spend your whole life on earth ranting against what is true about the fact that God does exist, about the fact that he is good. People say, well, what kind of good God would create a world that's all messed up like this? He didn't make a world that was messed up. 
He created a paradise. Why is the world the mess that it is? Because we're here. We are here. We messed it up. We sin against others. We are the ones who are at fault. God let man live here, and we've destroyed the place. We're setting it on fire. And what people often don't even realize is that God is very engaged in restraining evil in the world so that it's not worse than it is. Why? Because he's gracious. His mercy and compassion um, are infinite. They are, they are beyond measure. So what about evolution and atheism? It's just a cover for sin. People love sin. They're into sex. They're into whatever. Who knows what? Who knows what all these days? And they don't want accountability. So they'll believe anything. They'll believe that lizards laid eggs and sparrows were born. Uh, they'll believe that E.T. put life on Earth. No matter what it is, no matter how absurd it is, no matter how the, the facts are, there are no evidence of any kind to support it. They'll believe things uh, to keep from having to bend their knee to the God that they know created them in their hearts. But like I said, I do believe atheists when they tell me they don't believe in God. They believe that they don't believe in God. But by their actions, they betray the fact that in their hearts they do know him. Because their worldview cannot account for what they do and what they know all day, every day. And so repent. Turn from it. Come to Jesus Christ. Admit that you're a sinner. And experience what life was really meant to be. A life of love, a life of fulfillment, knowing Christ, a life of adventure. Um, a life where you actually love people just because they're people. Where you have compassion on the weak. Where you, you want to do what's right. You want to spread the good news. That there is a way to be forgiven. That there is life outside of slavery to sin. And just being a complete uh, yes man to your, your evil nature that tells you to do this and that. And you just bow and obey it. There is life, there is forgiveness, there is liberty, there's freedom, there's joy, there's a good night's sleep. Um, I sleep like a baby uh, because I know that God is sovereign and he's in control of all things. No matter what people say or do, uh, God is in control, God is sovereign, God is good and gracious. And I love him so much and I'm so thankful that he intervened in my life because I too was once hopelessly lost. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church, located at 108 Bridwell Heights Road in Kingsport, Tennessee, and you've been listening to the Protestant Witness Podcast. Please feel free to join us for worship any Sunday morning at 11 a.m. sharp, where we open the Word of God together, sing His praises, and rejoice in the gospel of our risen Lord. You can find us on the web at www.bridwellheightspca.org. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.